that it's a church which is totally centered on the gospel, yep. in which the Christians learn how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm -hmm. how to love their neighbors themselves, yeah. or others themselves, yeah. in their cultural context. Okay. Just four points. And to come back to your question, I think we lose sight of this because we add so many other things, and other things become kind of like models of what a church should be. Welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. And my name is Adrian Reynolds. I'm head of national ministries for the FIEC. And I'm here in Poland at the European Leadership Forum. And I'm here with a good friend, David Brown. Yeah. Hello, David. Hello. <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah. And David, you are um, in ministering in Paris. Yes, that's, that right, right? yes that's right. Yeah. You don't sound as though you've got much of a French accent. So um, I'm guessing not... <laughs> that that's not originally home. Yeah, no, it's not. Where's um, home originally? But home originally was the United Kingdom. I originally came from Somerset. Okay. Um, I... Can you do the full Somerset accent on, the, on demand. If you want to, if you want to, okay, can, okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't remember well, there's all your apples okay, grow. <laughs> okay, but you've seen the light and you've crossed yeah. the channel. Yeah. How long ago did you move to Paris? Um, I moved to, well, I went, moved to France earlier than I moved to Paris. Okay. In fact, um, because it was back in the 70s that I moved to, to France. I was in the east of France at that time. Right. In a city called Nancy, which okay, is yes, about yeah, between yeah, yeah. Paris and Strasbourg. Yes. And I moved to Paris in 1997. Okay. Um, because uh, at that time I'd been church planting in, in Nancy. We planted two churches. And I was called to join the leadership team of our denomination, mission denomination in Paris. And I said, okay, as long as you let me plant another church here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I planted a church in the suburbs of Paris. So number three. That's number three. And which brings us a bit to the subject of today. Um, I was then asked to... Um, join a church which had been going through a lot of difficulties and needed what we call today revitalization. Yes. Like. Was it called revitalization then? It wasn't then. I'd never heard the was, word Was there all. a term in, used instead or just um, this church needs help? Well, I didn't even know the concept. I didn't okay, know anything. Okay. Um, when I arrived in the church, I said to people, well, we're going to have to replant this church because I knew church planting. Yeah, okay. Um, which is a, a term which is still sometimes used yeah, today. Yeah. It, it's a slightly different meaning. but yes. um, yeah. uh, I suppose replanting feels like you're starting everything from scratch again it's almost everything whereas revitalization feels there's a bit more continuity exactly exactly yeah. replanting yeah. may be using a, a church premises which have been bought and um, a, a new church start there for example with new leadership and so on yeah right yeah. and um, for those who know paris what part of paris are you in well, um, it's the northwest of Paris. Okay. Um, it's called the 17th arrondissement, yep, yep. Um, which to situate it is, is north of the Gare Saint-Lazare. <laughs> and uh, I actually live right on the border of the 17th arrondissement and uh, the very first suburb called Clichy because the church we revitalized, uh, uh, we handed over to uh, a younger couple Right. Two or three right. years ago, and we started a new church plant in Clichy. But the, the strange thing is that I live in an area where I live in a block of flats on the 16th floor with a view of the Eiffel Tower from my office. <laughs> and um, it's you're, not, been, you're not selling it to us no, at all. No, it sounds no, no. like a terrible place to be. Well, well I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but it's built right on the, the border between 
official Paris and Clichy. Right. So I could change from being to Paris to Clichy without moving because I've got two postal addresses. Oh, one so, one okay. side of the building is Paris and the other side is Clichy. Okay. But it's pretty strange. <laughs> right. Well, um, we're not here to discuss postal addresses, although I, I'm fascinated <laughs> by trivia like that. Yeah. But we're here to talk about healthy churches. Uh, you've written a book, which we're going to come to, Reconnect Your Church, um, based on some of the things you've been teaching here and also working alongside our own Phil Walter, yeah, yeah. who for many years was our revitalization coordinator yeah. before he retired at, at FIEC. Yeah, he was a great help to yeah. me thinking things out. Yeah. And you, um, you, you're, you're very kind and gracious in that you acknowledge yeah. in, in the book some of that stuff comes from him and yeah. um, it's obviously, uh, yeah. you know, pulled, pulled wisdom, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we often think about revitalization and church planting, David. They're, they're means to an end, aren't they? Mm. And, and the end is a, a healthy, yeah. vital living church. Yeah. Why do we lose sight of that as an aim, do you think? Well, I think the best thing would be to, to define what I mean by healthy church. Go on then, yeah, um, tell us. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very simple definition, um, so simple that it, it might sound almost too simple, but I was very thankful to a, a, a brother from Finland here who said, sometimes you need a lot of experience to say things simply. Okay. <laughs> so um, my definition is that it's a church which is totally centered on the gospel, Yep. in which the Christians learn how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm -hmm. how to love their neighbor as themselves yep. or others as themselves yep. in their cultural context. Okay. Just four points. And to come back to your question, I think we lose sight of this because we add so many other things and other things become kind of like models of what a church should be. Um, without going too much into caricature, uh, when I became a Christian, I was at university at the time, it was a bit the tail end of a kind of church culture where everyone had to wear suits and ties right, and the okay. ladies wore dresses yeah, and hats yeah, and yeah. Um, when we went into the sanctuary we didn't speak to each other it was okay. very quiet that's all and organs yes, were the only yeah, music yeah. and this changed in the late 60s or 70s to what might be called classical evangelical church today sure, much more yeah, easygoing yeah, casual yeah. clothes uh, guitars sure. and you, you talk in the sanctuary <laughs> and so on and both are models which can have their danger. Mm. The, the danger of the first model is that you feel only spiritual when you're on the church premises. And you see this sometimes when people visit a cathedral, and they're, they're very quiet yeah, and yes, so on. Yeah, yeah. The second model can be a danger because praise music has become so important that some people think that unless you've got a, a good praise band or you're listening to praise music in a sort of headset in the metro in Paris, then you're not really spiritual. Right. Okay. Uh, I, this is a caricature. I, yes, I we've, agree. We've, we've just replaced one set of But we've replaced one set another. to another. Yeah, yes, yes, so yeah. um, what I'm always pleading for is to say, if you've got these basic things of a healthy church, then it can be lived out in different ways in different places without necessarily following a model which comes from elsewhere. Right. So, so tell us the four again. Yeah, the four is totally centered on the gospel. Okay, just, just expand that a little bit, what you mean by that. Well, the gospel is Jesus who died for us on yeah. the cross. So yeah. in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Paul said, I, I told you what was the essential thing yes. that I told so you. Jesus died, you hold on, Jesus died, according to the scriptures, raised on the third day. Buried, raised the third day, according yeah. to the scriptures. And if you believe that, you are saved. Yeah. Um, okay, a lot more can flow from that, but that is the actual yeah. essential thing. So when a person becomes a Christian, they become a disciple, but when they asked Jesus what were the two main things that disciples should do, he said, well, love God and love others. Yeah, so the greatest and commandments. I think that yeah. the whole of the New Testament in that sense is relational yeah. because yeah. 
every other religion, there are things you can eat or not eat or things you wear or not wear. Mm -hmm. But every commandment of God, in some senses, it, it relates to our relationship to him or our relationship yeah, to yeah. others. And the fourth thing of the definition is in our cultural context. Okay, that sounds like something we need to, to think more clearly yeah, about yeah. because that's not straightforward, is it? Yeah. It's not straightforward. And, and I came to that little by little by thinking of the way in which the church expanded mm -hmm. um, from Jerusalem. Yeah. So um, take, for example, Paul writes three or four chapters to the Corinthians yes. about food sacrificed to idols. Yep. Well, to be honest, this was not a problem for the Christians in Jerusalem no. <laughs> because there weren't or any indeed temples. in Nancy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably not. Or, or to give another example, I, I've talked to missionaries from Southeast Asia or, um, or from Madagascar where ancestor worship is very important. Right. If they don't right. deal with that, they're not dealing with a no. fundamental okay. uh, uh, question, issue of their society. But in 40 years of ministry, I've never talked about yeah. ancestor yeah. worship yeah. in yeah. Europe. So, but we have other issues which we must be facing. And, and when I say the cultural context, um, I'm talking of three things, basically. The first thing is the local context, mm -hmm. because a church like I was pastoring in central Paris will never look like a church in a village in central Paris. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. The second thing is the national context, because we all have so much history in Europe weighing on us, which is very different to uh, Africa or even the United States, for yep, example. Yep. All this history is there, and so we have to live with that history. And the third thing is a, a pan-European, post-European, post-modern kind of culture, um, which includes things like uh, woke culture and all this sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, and so to be culturally adapted means being adapted on those three levels. Mm. In fact. So you need to understand your context in order to be able to be a healthy church. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's very interesting. Now, um, what you haven't said anything about is size. Yeah. So... Um, I think sometimes we labour under the misapprehension that in order to be a healthy church, you have to be a large church yeah. or a, at least a medium-sized church. Yeah, yeah. Is that true? I, I don't think it's always true at all. No, I, I mean, a good church is a good church, whatever its size. Yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, let's say at a smaller village in the in the mountains in the centre of France, you're never going to have a huge church like you might mm -hmm. somewhere else. Uh, but if you're a smaller church... I think the danger sometimes is that you try to look like a big church. Right. So a big church right. might have a, a wonderful praise band or um, yep. Yep. video projection and all that sort of thing. Uh, if you meet in a village hall, you can't do that. But you can still be a church where you put the gospel in the center, where you um, love God and love others. Yes. And, and in fact, it might be in some ways easier because one element of the New Testament teaching comes back 20 times in different ways is one another. Yes. So in yeah. a smaller church, the one another might be more easy yeah. <laughs> than yeah. in a, than a yeah. bigger church. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually then the, the work of revitalization is about making churches healthy. Exactly. As much as we can. We, we need to acknowledge there's a spiritual element to that. Obviously, yeah. we're yeah. under God. Sometimes yeah. churches do have their time and yeah. do come to a close, but we, we long that churches might flourish. Yeah under God's hand and this is this is the revitalization is about the part that we play in yeah, that exactly yeah. yeah and I I guess therefore we we have to say sometimes a larger church needs to be revitalized of course of course if it's, um, if it's not following those four things if it's not centered on yeah, the gospel yeah, not loving God yeah. neighbor contextually appropriate yeah. a large church is as much in need of revitalization of course yeah. as a an apparently small yeah, church yeah. that seems to be struggling yeah. and and often it, people don't see this but a church which is plateauing it may be a sign that in some ways they need an, a new 
time of revitalization because often uh, it's only seen when the church begins to go down in numbers which is it can be an indication that it's not going yeah. well but yeah. it's not the, not the only thing yeah. yeah okay now um this is we're talking about change here yeah. change is hard so yeah. i mean it's a kind of it's a Christian concept, right? We, we, yeah. we believe in sanctification, don't yeah. we? So we yeah. believe that we are being changed yeah. Yeah. wonderfully, yeah. gloriously yeah. into the likeness of Christ. But in, when it comes to church life, change feels jolly hard. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, change is a very strange thing. I mean, yeah. classically, people said there are some people who are always early adopters and like yeah. change. Yeah. And some, so some people <laughs> seem to thrive on it. Yeah. And some people hang on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. The vast majority, I think, just... We, we move little by little. And I think the problem sometimes is that churches haven't changed at all, whereas if okay. they've been changing little by little as the time went then on. Then you wouldn't need these big step quite changes, so, would you? So uh, okay, sense. that's interesting. Yeah. 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 And uh, thinking of leaders, um, how, how, do, how, do we even going, how do we even go about assessing whether our churches are healthy? Because it seems to me that's the first question to ask. Yeah. If a church yeah. leader who's watching, listening, you know, it, 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 we're duty bound all the time to be saying, is the church where I'm serving healthy? Yeah. Yeah. How, how do we go about answering that question? Well, I, I think numbers alone, obviously, isn't a good thing. No. It can be an indication. I think yeah. you, we have to say that because what do we want? The more and more people turn you to the Lord to have more and more people worshipping him. In for eternity. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But I think that it's more a feeling. Um, could I invite a friend to this church, would they understand what's going on? Would they think it was relevant to, to their lives? Mm. Um, or would they think they were sort of moving into a kind of museum or, or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's the kind of question to ask. It's the, um, I don't particularly like the word relevance because that can be misunderstood. In what way can that um, be misunderstood? Because people can sometimes think that being relevant means that you have to have all the latest technology or something. Okay, okay, I see. Um, the word I prefer is plausible. Now, right. I'd, okay. have to, I'd have to define <laughs> plausible to go you. Go on then, have a go. <laughs> okay. Um, plausible it, it means something which um, people will accept as possible. It's uh, so something which is uh, can be taken into account. Mm -hmm. So, um, f for example, many, many people around us today would not even consider even looking into Christianity or going to a church or something. So um, it's not even plausible. I, I remember talking to a young man recently. He was... About 30 years old, studied sociology, and he came to our church and, and, and said, this is the first time in my life I've thought of God. Right. So it, it wasn't even plausible. And the, the problem with our apologetics sometimes is that we're answering, answering the, the question, is it credible? In other words, can we believe it? Yeah. But people aren't there yet because they need to see that it's plausible. And May I quote a French philosopher? <laughs> um, it, it feels, David, uh, it feels quite remiss to have someone who's immersed in French culture on, on the FIC podcast and not have a bit of French okay. philosophy. So, yes, you okay. may. So, this is, a, a, a fact, a very well-known philosopher, Pascal, who okay. writes I'll, The Pensée, okay. which I'll is take quite Pascal. well yep. okay. Yep. Okay. And he said at one point, what we must do is to make people wish Christianity was true and then showed that it's true. Okay. And that was back yeah, in the yeah. 17th yes, century, yeah, was, yeah. before yeah. the Age of Enlightenment. Yeah. And that that is a really insightful thing. We want to make people wish it's true. So, in fact, I mean, we're, we're moving on to a little another aspect of the healthy church. But in fact, the only time that 
people are going to see Christianity is when they see Christians. Hmm. And they're not going to see Christians in church because they're not going to come. So then we move on to the second aspect of a healthy church where you get it that the right balance between what in theology is called the gathered church and the scattered church. Right. And the gathered church is when Christians are together. So actually, e even if we're on a Zoom together, actually it's still the, it's still the gathered yes, church. Yeah, we're yeah. together. And what are we doing? We're worshiping God. We're, we're studying the Bible. We're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other. That is the gathered church. But even a very committed Christian probably wouldn't spend more than about 3% of their week in the gathered church. Yeah, yeah. So the other 97% uh, are being spent with other people yeah. in their life. And they, loving their neighbors. Their neighbors. Well, <laughs> I, I sometimes say that we've we got four networks. Yep. Um, there's our family yep. in the wider sense, our neighbors, people we know in the community, um, our place of work, or for a younger person where they study, university yep. or school, and friends and leisure time activities. And everyone has people they know there. And the, the important thing is to show that Christianity is plausible by the way we live. Or, to put it another way, um, in today's world, if, if someone wants to be, if you want to influence someone, if you like, to, to buy something, yep. Um, yep. You go, people go on the internet. And I, I know my wife, for example, when she wants to buy something, uh, she'll look firstly at what other users say. Yes, yeah, read the reviews. <laughs> read the reviews. <laughs> who are going to recommend. So we as Christians are users, if you like, of the Christian faith, yeah, and yeah. therefore recommenders. Mm -hmm. So the way we live is really, really important in these areas as Christians mm -hmm. continue to be salt and light. So this is the this is the adorning of the gospel in one Peter, isn't it? Exactly. That's the same exactly, idea. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what really struck me, because we're talking about a healthy church and people see churches where we're together. Yeah. The only verse, I think, in the New Testament, which tells us that we must meet together, Hebrews 10, um, continues to say to encourage each other and to spur us on to love and good That's works. Right. So we're meeting together to prepare ourselves for the rest of the week. Mm. So that is why the church, I say, is where we learn to love God and to love others so that we can be good witnesses, to do good to people, to love them, share the gospel when we can all the yeah. way through the week. Yeah. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about the book, David. What, why have you written it? How's it helped churches? Fill us in on the, on the gaps. Yeah, but, but I think it's helpful. I hope it's helpful. <laughs> I've read um, it. It is yeah, helpful. Yeah. Um, it, it's a book that came out of a, a lot of our thinking here in Poland, in yeah, fact, yeah. And, and so on. Uh, you mentioned Phil Walter already. Uh, because I say that revitalization are two things. There's the vision and then the implementation of the vision. Right. Okay. So the vision is a healthy church, which is at the same time gathered and scattered. And... Um, I suggest even on a, there's a website called revitalization.fr, yes, yep, which yep. people can go on. You can see the bilingual. So if you if yeah. you are a French speaker only watching this podcast it's, it's, for yeah. some bizarre reason, yeah. it will suit you down to the yeah. Back. It's a bilingual. It's bilingual. <laughs> so um, in the olden days, we would have called this a diagram. We call it an infographic today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I say, this is what a church needing revitalization must take on board. I think this is the vision. When I first started with Phil, we used to say, each church should try to build up their vision. And we realized that was very, very difficult. Yeah, so now yeah. we say, we think this is a vision of a healthy church. Right. And okay. you can take this on board. And most people are not very frightened by it. 
because they haven't yet realized <laughs> the, yeah, the, yes. the implications yes, of it. Yeah, they haven't done the measurement uh, yet. Yes. That, that is the vision. Okay. Why the book? Because once you've got the vision, it might take months or years to be working through the implementation of the vision. Right. And that's what right. I'm trying to do in the book okay. to show how we can get there bit by bit. So it is a handbook for change. Well, really. that's, the, that's the title of yeah. it. And, well, it is. And, <laughs> and you, you break that down into different dimensions, social, societal, spiritual. Yeah. Tell us why you've done that and what those divisions are. Well, because having, having looked at um, what I defined as a healthy church, um, to love God, that is the spiritual dimension. Right. To love others is the social dimension. Yes. In your context is the societal dimension. Right. I see. Societal, so I see how societal yep. may not be as clear as context, but being a preacher, that means I could put three S's. Yes, yes I, <laughs> into I see it. what you've done there. I see what you've done there. Yeah. Um, so that's French preaching as well as English preaching, yeah, is it? Yeah. Okay. It works in both languages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and towards the end of the book also you you start to help leaders think about how to implement yeah. changes and yeah. thinking about a vision um what what help do we need here what you know what are the harder things we need to grapple with yeah. um well i i start actually um with the social and the societal yeah um and there's a reason for that uh, i start with the social because it's in one sense the easiest thing to do that churches can begin to encourage each other uh, to be hospitable to invite their neighbors right to join right. a club and and, and, yeah. and to have yep. contact so in one sense that is the easiest thing to okay. to do yeah. The societal is when people are beginning to get to know their neighbors and talk with them or, or people at work and so on they're suddenly going to realize wow we're not in the same world mm -hmm. uh, people think in a different way so we need to understand what this other way is right not as an aim in itself but so that we can contact have some point of contact yeah. um, and i'll give you an example of that a survey was done in france a, a couple of years ago by the national council of evangelicals about attitudes of people at work and mm. um, the finding that really surprised me was that 85 percent of the christians said when colleagues bring up issues at work i don't know what to say as a christian Right. That is the societal thing. So it is why yeah. we know more. And that's not going to be any different in the UK, is it? It, it no, may be the exactly. same. Yeah. So that is why in the third case, I arrive at the spiritual, because it might not seem the spiritual, but in one sense it is, for this reason. When we meet together on a Sunday, um, I would like there to be a better word than we've got. I know I, I've seen the word gathering in Australia. And yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. But if we talk about a service, a Sunday service, most people think service, that means that we're going to um, sing, pray, and hear a Bible exposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we need to do more when we're together. And I've, I've seen churches begin to do this in France. I'm doing it in the church plant where we add as well, when we are together, times of teaching on the world we live in. Okay. In a very wider sense. Yeah, yeah. Because if Christians together don't get it then, when will they get it? Yes. They I may mean, that's go on the internet. fourth part of the healthy church yeah. matrix. Then if you don't have that input at some point. Yeah. When are you going to be a healthy yeah, church? Yeah. And, and that might be the most difficult thing because people might say, well, I, I don't know how to do this and so yeah, on. Yeah. I think there are ways and means of doing it. Um, how do you do it in the, in the church in Paris? Well, I've been doing this actually for about five or six years in the church I was before yeah, yeah. as well as the church yeah. now. Uh, one way is 
that I try to I try to read a lot. I, I'm a, I try to read about a book a week. I okay. always have. Okay. So I try to at least present something. I may not be the total expert, but I think probably because I've got possibly a little bit more training, a bit more time, that I can give the minimum necessary to the other church members. Right. Okay. But secondly, sometimes you can use other church members. I mean, hmm. uh, I remember asking a doctor in the church to come and talk more about questions like euthanasia, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So you can use people within the yeah. church. Um, being in a big city, it's easier to find other people who can come as experts. Yeah, if you're sure, in a, sure. a rural area, you can't. Um, Although that's where technology actually can and, help and you. I, that was the fourth thing Something I was going to say. Something we've learned to do over exactly, COVID, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. That was the fourth thing I was going to say. Um, even non-Christian TED Talks, which you, you, you yes, may not. Yeah. Um, some of them are pretty good. And, yeah, and it yeah. helps people to understand where you are. And then you can talk about it. Because if you don't do it together people may not look at all or they may go on internet and pick up some very weird and wonderful ideas which may need to be corrected afterwards sure. yeah. because yeah. everything <laughs> is there available yeah. at, the, at the click mm -hmm. so I, I think this is very very important to do this and and to encourage people um uh, to in their daily their, their daily lives and another thing i do in the church uh this is based on an idea in a book called Gathered in Scattered Church by Neil Hudson, also yep, published by okay. IVP, in which he did a thing called This Time Tomorrow. Yes. And at the yep, end yep, of each yep. service, I interview one member of the church and say, what are you, what are you doing this time tomorrow? What's your job? What do you like? What do you don't like? Mm. Are you the only Christian? Are there other Christians? Have you witnessed? Can we pray for you? And so on. And this gives the idea to everyone, it's important what you're doing during yeah, the week yeah, as well. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, Thank you. Mm. Um, the last few minutes it would be remiss of me to have you here mm. and not heart not ask questions about the gospel in france generally yeah mm. um so i think most brits think about france as a holiday destination yeah. um or a you know an opponent at football um, yeah. we don't think about or, it as a mission or field or rugby or rugby <laughs> yes um that's not the time to mention that this year <laughs> it, yes um so um, help us understand this. So, you know, many people don't realise that there was a there was a moment in French history when Protestantism, Protestantism really took hold in yeah. the Reformation, yeah. Yeah. and obviously then um, uh, 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 Christians were expelled and all kinds of difficulties. Yeah. What's what's the state now? I think I think we think about it as a largely secular country where nothing's happening, yeah. and that's simply not true, is it? So, it's, it's not so, true. So, so tell that's us true. what's happening with, yeah. with the gospel in, yeah. in France. Well, it's been tremendous growth. I mean. <laughs> You, you talked about the time for one century during the 18th century yes, when yeah. it was uh, totally illegal to be a Protestant yep, in France. Yep. So um, we recognize that we, we, we reckon that about 2,000 evangelicals in France in 1800. 2,000 in, in 1800. 1800. Right. Get that now, in your heads. Yeah, yep. This okay. sort of grew little by little through the 19th century so that they, the, the, the point we normally start from was in 1950, we think there are about 50,000 evangelicals in okay. 1950. Now, 70 years on, we think there are probably 750,000. Wow. Which is a lot of growth. It is. It's not spectacular at all. No. Nope. A lot of church planting, um, the way I put it is sometimes you're, you're, you're fishing with a rod one by one. It's not yes, <laughs> casting yeah, the it's net. Not a net. Yeah, it's not the helpful. net. Yep. And, and all over France, more and more. And so little by little, uh, evangelicals are, are being known. Um, two figures, two things which are interesting about this. The first is that uh, there was a, a, a survey done about four years ago by both the Catholic and Protestant churches together on church attendance. Yep. And they, they, they based it on the idea if you went to church once a month, you're a regular attender. Okay. Most evangelicals <laughs> probably yes. did more. Yeah. 
And so the Catholics were sort of just over 3 million and the evangelicals 750,000. So right, that means right. we're a quarter of church attendance. Mm-hmm. And the other uh, sort of little anecdote, which really, really surprised me, I, I was... I like reading, as I said. I was reading a book on sociology, uh, France Today. Right. There were two right. completely secular authors writing about this. And at one point, they described a typical medium-sized town in France today. And they talked about its shopping center and its garden center and its bowling alley and its kebab shops and its evangelical church. Huh. And they suddenly added that at the Interesting. end. And that was, Interesting. That, oh, I jumped <laughs> because that showed how much now we're much more part of the landscape than we were. And that's really important. Really important. Well, praise the Lord for yeah. that. Yeah. That's country I love. So, so yeah. praise the Lord for growth. So this is Reconnect Your Church, David. You've done us a great service by writing that. It's a really helpful handbook, something to work through maybe with other leaders in the church. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Yeah. And um, hope you enjoy the rest of the, the forum here in Boland. Yeah. yeah. Safe so, trip back to Paris. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And uh, this has been Independence, the FIC podcast. If you've enjoyed listening or watching, do rate us and review us. That helps other people find us. Thanks very much. 